So in the context of this relationship, I'm under so much criticism that, that, that eventually I come to believe I'm a failure. I can't even make this work. I can't do anything right. Your body, your mind, begins killing you. Hmm. Autoimmune diseases are when your immune system is attacking you. And contempt in a relationship causes autoimmune diseases. Hey guys, welcome back to the Men of True Worth podcast. I'm Michael Lewis, and once again, I have here with me Dr. Bob Fisher. And this is part two of this interview. This is a really exciting conversation, and I'm glad you guys are joining me for it. Hopefully, you already listened to the first part. If not, go ahead and go listen to that part. In today's episode, we're going to go deeper into the seven levels of morality this is a really exciting conversation and how that those levels of morality tie into the way that we follow christ and the way that we love one another so you don't want to miss this episode i'm really excited to share it tune in enjoy let me tell you something that i learned from the american psychiatric association right and uh, i learned this actually from the head of uh, the tennessee uh, the, the state chapter for the American Psychiatric. He's a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, okay? And uh, he taught me the most powerful concept. It's actually, I have a sermon and I have a blog post on my website, newlifecounselingcenter.net, uh, where I detail this concept. But there are seven different levels of morality. And, and a lot of believers think there's one, Right? Okay. Josh McDowell wrote a book, you know, right and wrong, you know, right? Okay. Right. So, so there's actually uh, seven different ideas about what they are, and they are progressive. So, in in hermeneutics, the, the study of scripture, right? There is this uh, notion of progressive revelation. Yet Adam and Eve had a certain revelation. Cain and Abel had a different one. Noah had a different one. Moses had a different one. Jesus had a different one. Paul had a different one, right? The church fathers had a different one. There's a progressive revelation. Over time, God reveals more. As, as we grow and we get our number of decades on this planet, we learn more. Our perspective change. The way grandpa parents is different than a way 26-year-old new dad parents, right? There's wisdom that comes with time. And so, so with each of these seven different levels of morality, every single one of them, you can prove chapter and verse. The Bible teaches every single last one of them. And ironically, it teaches them in the same order that the American Psychiatric Association reveals. Okay? You want it real quick and this, dirty? This is interesting. Yeah, I, All right. I, I do want to hear about this. All right. And we're also going to send them to your website to see this. Yeah. But what are they, seven? Okay, okay. so I'll, I'll describe them this way. Um, when you have uh, someone that is less than two years old, they don't possess object permanence. And so when you're playing peekaboo or something like that, they don't know that you're there playing with them. They only literally experience the five senses. So if it isn't in their field of vision, it doesn't exist. You don't exist when you're, okay. So what do kids do? They have their oral stage and they got, everything is experienced through the mouth or whatever, okay? The human brain is remarkably uh, undeveloped until you're two, okay? At this stage, you can't reason with a toddler. It's impossible. They don't possess language. They just experience the environment. So the child takes the initiative in the environment and the parent responds. The parent can't initiate. The parent can only respond. Okay, so the little fart goes over there, and you're, you're, he's got a you know a, a, a knife in the in the in the electrical outlet or something like that, right? So what does a parent do? They chase over there. No, 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 no. And mm -hmm. level one understanding of morality is reward and punishment. Reward and punishment happen after the fact. Okay, it's the most primitive. Do you see reward and punishment in the Bible? Of course you do. 
right? Okay, but what happens at age two is that they learn language. And once the little fart learns English, you now can reason with them, right? And so level two is quid pro quo. Let's make a deal. So from age two until puberty, you have some kids, right? Right, right in that pocket. Um, they're little deal makers. And so if I have <laughs> one bite of broccoli, can I have ice cream? You know, if I pick up the Legos in my room, can we go to the skate park? Right? They're deal makers. And so you want to operate with them on that level. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Don't fight it. Work with it. Okay? okay. Now, puberty, pu puberty is beautifully illustrated. The difference between going to an elementary school and a middle school, first off, everybody, everybody in the in middle school is psychotic, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they're all, they all have disorders, you know, it's called adolescence. But, but if you go to an elementary school, a teacher's walking down the hall, and you have a line, male, female, tall, short, skinny, fat. They're all in a single file line indiscriminately. But go into a middle school, and you've got the emos and the jocks and the nerds and the, the burnouts and the, the, the whatever. You know what I mean? Little tribes. At puberty, social conformity is the name of the morality. And the idea is that my people group that I identify with are right. And the other groups are wrong. So the brains, they don't have a life. They need to learn how to play basketball. What's wrong with them, you know? Well, the burnouts, obviously, they're, they have no future. I mean, they're smoking pot or whatever, you know, right? So my group is right. Other groups are wrong, okay? Stage four is what you see in high school. In high school, uh, it, it's called law and order. And if you think about it, your sophomore year, you have to pass the rules of the road, and then you get your learner's permit, and then you get your driver's license, and then dad says, I'm not going to pay for your gas and insurance, so you need to go get a job, right? And you have to wear the McHat and the McApron, or you get McFired, right? <laughs> so you, you have to learn what the rules are, okay? Each of those four is distinctly different from the other, and they're progressive, as, as, as we saw in the example of a, a human that's growing up, Right? All of them are illustrated in the scripture. You can prove that all of those are true and right, right? God rewards and punishes, right? God makes deals. I think they're called covenants, right? Uh, God has a chosen people. He has his people, the Israelites, right? And then he, he sends Moses to them to give the rules. There you are. Those are in order, right? Interesting, yes. Okay. What most people don't understand, homo sapiens are mammals, and all species of mammals raise their young through these four stages. So if you're in the wolf pack or something like that, you're rewarded or punished. <laughs> they, they make deals with you. They identify this is us and that's them. Go eat them, right? And these are the rules. And if you break the rules, you know, you're out of the pack. You're out of the camp until morning, as Moses said. In other words... If your idea of what Christianity is, is any of those four, you're in the flesh. You might as well be a baboon. Hmm. We're destined for much better than that. Those represent religion. So what is level five? Five is superior to all the first four. What is it? In one word, what is a one-word summary of God? God is love. Love, right? Level five is love, right? And and what Paul and, and James and James called it the royal law of love. The law we're under is love, right? First uh, Corinthians uh, thirteen, right? With you can have absolutely everything except love. If you don't have love, you got zero, right? So love is the principal thing, right? Love conquers. Many sins, right? Okay, so here you have love, and, and you think if that's the principal thing, then why isn't that the ultimate? Well, it's insufficient, okay? When you think, again, back to like human development, who of all the types of people or demographics of people, which people are the most loving? I'm thinking someone with... Down syndrome or a mental impairment or something, right? If, if, if you know anybody with okay. Downs, right? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. They, they look at you, hey, you know, you think, you know, hug, talk, move on. 
they just hold you. You know mm-hmm. what I mean, and and the whole world just disappeared, and they they just spend they just give themselves to you, right, unconditionally, right? They possess love, but what don't they possess? Intellection, and so when you add intellection to the heart of love, you have level six. It is called purposes, and so K. Arthur has precept ministries. That's the best example I can think of of level six, and that is, I know what the love thing, the loving thing to do is, but why? That's K. Arthur's quest, right? Why was this the loving thing to do? What was God thinking when he said this? I want to understand the purposes of God. Okay, great. So that's awesome. What's missing? What is level seven? Hmm. Here it is. Being a loving friend. The most right thing that you can do is be there. It doesn't matter how you feel or what you think or whatever if you aren't present. That is what's right. So let me illustrate this from the Bible. I'm going to go all the way through Old Testament and New and illustrate this progressive revelation that God gave for us. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They screwed up, and they screwed up big. God comes in, level one, punishment. God responded, okay? Cain and Abel, the very next story, right? God goes proactively to Cain. Hey, dude, I know what you're thinking. Sin is crouching at your door, right? Stick with me. You'll land on high. Trust me. Stay with me, right? Okay, and then Cain, we know the story, okay? But God was trying to make a deal with Cain, wasn't he? Right. Yeah. The next story in the Bible. You get to, to Noah. It's the very next story. It also, coincidentally, is the first reference to people that lived on earth. Everything is all just individual people, but now you have the community of humans, okay? And uh, the community of humans were kind of unified, uh, but Noah was a nonconformist. He didn't fit with the tribe of humans as much as he fit with the tribe of God. What is level three? Social conformity. He was a nonconformist to the society of his day. He was a conformist to God. Hmm. The next and final big figure in the Old Testament, it's got to be Moses, right? And the very name Moses is synonymous with the word law. Level four is law and order, right? And, and, And that concludes the Old Testament. And I believe that the law, I know there's, there's plenty of disagreement on this, right? But I'll go with Paul. I think when the, the Ten Commandments were given, when the law was given, it was to show our need of a Savior. It was, it was to cause us to stumble and fall and realize, like I did as a young man, trying to put distance between me and sin, can't do it. Can't do it, right? Okay, so the Old Testament, in my view, represents man's religion and attempt to reach God, in my opinion, okay? I can talk more about that in a second. Born into that system is this strange rabbi, Yeshua, Jesus, right? What was the first thing that he did when he started his ministry? He turned water into wine at a wedding, right? Okay, a miracle. He went about doing all kinds of miracle, healing and all that stuff. Doesn't that sound like love? There's one thing in common with 100% of his miracles, and that is that people benefited. So he calmed nature, and he turned water into wine, and all that, whatever he did, right? He never just did some abstract miracle just to prove power. It always benefited a person. He acted in love. What happened then is he drew a crowd. Then what did he do when the crowd was there? He began to teach the kingdom of heaven is like this, like that, right? That's level six. That's the purposes. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. I'm a fan of Jesus, but Jesus isn't the ultimate. Why? What what makes Jesus not the ultimate for us? I think I'd rather have Jesus in the New Testament than to live in the Old Testament. I think everybody would agree with that, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus, though, limited himself in a body of flesh and bone. He was limited in time and space by his own volition. And that's why he said, don't worry, I have to go, but don't worry, I'm going to send my spirit after me. And what could the spirit do that Jesus, the man, could not? 
He can live inside us. That's right. He could abide. He could abide. What is level seven? It is the ultimate, the loving friend. Doesn't matter how many Facebook friends you have. It doesn't matter how many friends you think you have. It all adds up to zero when you're in trouble and you're alone. A real friend is next to you. They're there. And that is the idea that, that I said a moment ago about, about the apple of my eye or I'll never leave or forsake. Yeah, leave or forsake? Yeah. No, the Holy Spirit is inside of us, dwelling, abiding. We can't pretend that he's not. And, and the beauty of it is, in, in the final sermon Jesus ever preached, he said, I abide in the Father, the Father abides in me. Got it, perfect unity, got it. And then he makes this affirmative declarative statement, I abide in you. And then he says the word if, which acknowledges our free will, if you abide in me, so we have a choice, don't we? In so many words, then you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. I'm piecing together parts of the sermon, but, but it all comes together. When we abide with God, acknowledge his abiding presence in us, we have peace flowing like a river. We're filled with love. So I want to say something that, that may be provocative. At the very least, you'll be thinking about it, okay? One year, it was uh, actually almost 20% of my clients were pastors, okay? And uh, I'm amazed at what I'm about to say that this is not taught from the pulpit because this is power, okay? Jesus was asked by a scribe, an expert in the law, a question. Rabbi, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So tell me this. What is the context? What's the context of what yeah. when they're asking that? Yeah, the, the question that was asked, what is the context of the question itself? A scribe, an expert in the law, said, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Right. What is the question about? The question is... Uh, so I'm trying to see where, where you're asking... Um, it was, it was based on a in trying to trap him. Yes, is that kind of where you're going with mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. So they were trying to trap him, but the the question was to kind of pin him down on something to yes. get him to say something that right that they could take back and and use against him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was, are I'm you not with, sure if that's what you're asking. Are you with or? Shammai or Gamaliel, the two, two prevailing? But, okay. but the question itself, though, what is the question? What is the great, great, greatest commandment in what? The law. In the law. What is the law, Old or New Covenant? Old. Right. Okay. So Jesus gets an A plus with his answer. Okay. He answered the question correctly. But what was the question? It was asked by an expert in the law. It was a question about the law, the old covenant. Okay? And Jesus answered, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Question. In that answer, what is the source of the love? Who is the source of the love? So that would become from us. Right. right. Is that where you're going with I am supposed to love God. i got to see if i got the answers right. Right. <laughs> I am supposed to love my neighbor the same way that I love myself. Jesus answered the question correctly, but it was about the old covenant, the covenant of performance. Hmm. Right? And to summarize this covenant of performance, whose performance is? Is it? It's ours. Mine. Yes. That's what the old covenant is. How well do I love God? How well do I love other people the same way I love me? Mm. How much love do I have? And how pure is it? Ugh. Limited. Then the final sermon that Jesus ever gives, and this is the most powerful thing in world history. John 13, 34, the final sermon. 
And Jesus says, a new command I give you. Now, see if you can figure out what's new about this. Love your neighbor the same way I loved you. Hmm. So now the love's coming from God, from the source. Precisely. Precisely. And as soon as you get a hold of the new covenant, which is different than the gospel, the gospel is, is that is that I'm lost in my sins, and Jesus came in perfection, lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay for my sins. He was resurrected as proof, you know, uh, and then if I place my faith in him, I am no longer the sinner. I am now the saint, right? And I am welcomed into not just heaven one day when I die. I'm welcomed into a vibrant relationship with him. Okay, beautiful. That's the gospel. But the gospel isn't the new covenant. The gospel brings you into the new covenant. It's two different things. Once I, once I receive the gospel, I enter into the covenant that I am supposed to love my neighbor the same way he loved me. He is the source. As soon as you grasp that, now you go back, read all the red letters and all the all the examples and the parables and all the other things that Jesus talked about. And I'm the vine, you're the branch. If you if you knew who I was, lady at the well, I would become an artesian well, a wellspring inside of you. You would never thirst again. Right? Hmm. Yeah? This is the power to cure the human condition to completely dismantle the spirit of religion and just throw yourself into the love of God and his provision, that he is filling us completely full. His first, his first miracle, turning water into wine. There's a couple things about that miracle, right? First off, it says in the account, how good was that wine? No, it was, it was the best wine. The best. Okay. Can God make Rio Needy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or what, what does God make? When God makes something, how good is it? Is it above average? What is it? It's perfect. Yeah. What comes from God is perfect. Now, in a study Bible, it tells you how large those pots are, and it says that they were filled at, at the end. And you, it's not hard to do the math. There's 12 of them, right? How many gallons of this amazing wine was left over when everyone had their fill? How many was it? It's 150 gallons. Oh, gallons. Gallons! I've never been to any event where, there was e where they even started with 150 gallons, and they ended with that much. And so, so here's the idea. What God provides is beautiful and perfect, and it isn't for you. It's for the world. His supply is infinite. So is he up there that we have to ask him to come here? No. He's in me, and from him proceeds the most pure, beautiful love imaginable. From him proceeds all the peace that exists if I'm not experiencing it, it's because I haven't taken him up on his offer. When he said, I abide in you, if you'll abide with me, you'll have the fruit of the Spirit. See, the fruit of the Spirit isn't mine. I don't, I don't plant and fertilize and try to summon up fruit. I think that's stupid. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That he is washing us from the inside out. But it's with a purpose. It's with the purpose to give it to other people. Okay? Can I can I can I share something else with you? Oh sure. I, I feel like I'm completely like dominating the conversation here, but that, that's uh, that's what this is about. Yeah. Um, that's that's why uh, that's why we have this platform. All right. Well, here we go. Let's see. James four. Okay. So I'm a counselor, right? right. Okay. What is it that brings anybody to counseling, right? It is never a thought. It's never a, a volition. It's a feeling. I hurt. I don't want to hurt anymore, right? Okay, and why do I hurt? Because of relationships, right? Okay, so here's, here's a section of Scripture that is just custom-made for counseling. James 4.1, and it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? And if I dare add to Scripture, What causes fights and quarrels in you? Internal distress. 
external distress, right? The problems of life. What, what's going on here? He goes on. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you, right? So earlier I said that the human soul is not created to need love. That's deception. And that, and that to the extent that I think that I lack love and I'm looking for love, I get myself in trouble. Make sense? Okay. The point I made just a, a minute ago is that we're filled with love, right? I don't lack love. I'll talk more about that in a minute. So don't, don't uh, the quarrels come from your desires that battle within you. You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You ever killed anybody? Hmm. Maybe you have. Maybe you have, and maybe I have too. So there's actually research on the power of words. And when you're in a relationship that has contempt present, that is that somebody has a critical spirit, and it seems like just, you know, it's predictable. They open their mouth and, and there's something wrong, right? What we do is we live with a sense of contempt. And what that means is they think I'm an idiot. They think I'm a failure. I mean, I, mean, I, I, know, I know how to drive. Why are they criticizing my driving? You know, I did this good thing. Why are they picking me apart, right? If you're living in a relationship where you are on the receiving end of an excessive amount of criticism, you experience contempt. And what the data says is that people who are living that way have a high incidence of getting an autoimmune disease. What does the immune system do? It kills. What does it kill? It kills all the bad stuff, the bacteria, the fungus, whatever, right? Okay. What is contempt? It is a belief that I am bad. So in the context of this relationship, I'm under so much criticism that, that, that eventually I come to believe I'm a failure. I can't even make this work. I can't do anything right. Your body, your mind, begins killing you. Hmm. Autoimmune diseases are when your immune system is attacking you. And contempt in a relationship causes autoimmune diseases. Second thing, data says that you die earlier. How many years do you think is cut off of an average lifespan for a person who's living in a contemptuous relationship? Take a wild guess. What? 15? Dang, you're good. 15. That's right. So instead of the average of 75, you're dead at 60. That means I got a few months left. Hmm. <laughs> it, so it makes you it makes you wish you were dead, and then it makes you dead. That's the power of words. So the Bible talks about words of life and words of death, right? Does the Holy Spirit speak to us words of life or words of death? Absolutely, words of life. Words of life, right? And so, That's, so yeah, yeah. Go right ahead. We're we're unaware that words actually, in fact, physically kill. Pretty important. All right, so. You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight, right? Because you're trying to get what you want out of your partner or whatever. And then it says you don't have because you don't ask God. Ah, there it is. Hmm. Who is the source? So we have the source, the Holy Spirit. You, you, yeah, right, right. But then it goes a little bit uh, sideways here. So we know that God is the source. He lives inside of us, right? And that we're, he is the, the supply of everything that's good and right and wholesome and everything that we need, right? And so we experience a lack, we experience a pain, and then we go to God in prayer and we ask for what we need, right? And then it says, after it says you don't have because you don't ask God, it says when you ask God, you don't receive, because you ask with wrong motives. Right. Oh, and then it continues that you'd spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, God doesn't reward hedonism. God is not interested in helping us until and unless we are interested in fulfilling the new covenant, and that is helping others. Mm. Okay? So Jesus said, you will reap what you sow. In the context of a marriage, for example, a lot of people will sow all kinds of edification and love and attention into their spouse, and their spouse is just nasty. And then they get frustrated and discouraged. Jesus, are you sure 
I'm doing a lot of sowing here and I'm not doing any reaping. When did Jesus ever say that you're going to reap where you sowed? Hmm. He didn't. Yeah, he didn't say that. Ephesians 6, 8 says that when you sow into other people, you reap from God. So there's, there's an Old Testament scripture that says that when you give to the poor, you, uh, you've, uh, God, God owes you. I forget how it's quoted. Yeah, you, you lend to God. Yes. So the supply is inexhaustible, and the supply comes from him. So we reap from God, and we sow into other people. We sow into other people, and God restores us. He's the vine, we're the branch. Now that, that verse when you're talking about, um, so when we go down this verse and we say, you know, uh, you don't have because you don't ask, and then when you do ask, you don't ask with the right intentions. And you're saying that that right intentions is asking with the heart to, or from a place where we are operating on a level seven morality, yes. where we're loving other people, yes, or we're 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 doing things for the benefit of other people, yes. or we're abiding with our friends, with our our brothers and sisters, and we're um, and with our spouse, with our family, we're we're doing it from a place where we we're kind of it, it's we're selflessly. Just being there. Yes. It's kind of the difference between if I'm babysitting for somebody or somebody's babysitting for me, it's like they're, they can be with the kids, but they're just on their phone the whole time. Yeah. They're not really being with them. Right. Right. Or they can be present. I, I mean, I know a lot of parents have this issue as well, um, you know, and I'm quite guilty as well, you know hanging out with my children mm -hmm. and on my phone. I'm mm -hmm. not really with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, that's, that's uh, interesting. I went off a little tailspin there, mm -hmm. but that's an interesting parallel that I see in that. That's exactly right. I, I can illustrate that using uh, two, two stories that, pe that people are familiar with, right, to, to really bring this thing home. The first one is uh, Solomon. So he's anointed to be king, and in a strange story, God comes like a genie in a bottle and offers him something. What, what do you want, right? I don't remember God ever doing that, <laughs> you know, right? And then, and then uh, Solomon answered what? He said, give me understanding that I could rule these people well. And God just got giddy and excited and all that, and he just said, you could have asked for anything, and this is what you asked for? Solomon's motive was, was for the good of the people, and so then he got more riches and peace and power and everything else that, that anybody's ever had, and wisdom, right? Which is better than understanding, right? right. He asked for understanding, he got wisdom. Wow! Okay, that, Solomon understood the new covenant before the new covenant was there. The second one is Jabez, and everybody remembers that little book, The Prayer of Jabez. There's some really interesting details about Jabez. So you're going through, what is it, Second Chronicles or whatever, these boring, boring, boring genealogies. And then, and then in the middle of all the boredom, there's this guy named Jabez, and it says, and Jabez prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, bless me. Sound like James 4? <laughs> bless me indeed. And if that isn't enough, enlarge my territories, right? And then the final thing was that I would not cause pain. Do you know what the Hebrew word for pain is? No. Jabez. So apparently he must have been a fat baby. Because <laughs> when mama gave birth to him, she named him pain. And so imagine getting kidded on the, 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 the playground with all the other boys, you know, about your name. Hey, pain. <laughs> you know? So he grew up with daddy issues or mommy issues and uh, was really sensitive to the issue of not causing pain. So his motive was to not cause pain. The rest of the story is he was the leader of the tribe of Judah. And so like Solomon, he had people he was responsible for. Tell me this, of the 12 tribes, which one was the largest? Judah. The fact that Judah was the largest tribe is God's answer 
to the prayer of Jabez. And so in both instances, you see that their motive was for the... So what, is it, what does it look like to bring, to bring uh, Solomon and, and uh, uh, Jabez and, and James 4 and, and uh, the, the love chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 13? What does it look like? What is the prayer that moves the heart of God? Here it is. God, I'm so ashamed to admit that I have hurt my wife. I, I think about the expression that I saw on her face when I said that to her last night. And, and I saw it, and I knew what it meant, and yet in my hard heart, I, I didn't humble myself. And I, I went to bed, and that poor woman, that poor woman, I hope she slept well last night. God, I just can't, I can't live with myself this way. I can't, I can't bear the idea that I hurt her that way. And I'm going to go talk to her right now. But before I do, God, would you touch me? Whatever this hardness of heart that, that I have, will you take that from me? I love her. I don't want to hurt her anymore like that. She deserves better than that. She deserves better than me. So I'm, I'm, I'm going now. Speak with my mouth in Jesus' name. Just totally focused on helping her. Yeah. And what... And building her up or what you can do to be a better husband yeah for her benefit not for your benefit right right i mean you're talking to your father-in-law right <laughs> she's her daughter your yep. daughter right yeah that that moves the heart of god that that is the right motive where am i in that <laughs> you know what i mean this is uh this is pretty cool because it even um because it's the seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then these things will be added to you. Um, if I may, that verse you just quoted, what is the significant portion of that verse that is life changing? What's the significant portion? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. What is the key to that? We have to identify what the kingdom of God is and seeking it. Um, but where are you going with this? How about the word his? Right. That's the new covenant. Right. It's his righteousness, not mine. His righteousness comes from me. That's, <laughs> that's it. When you say that, what do you what do you mean by that? His righteousness dwells inside of me, and then I express his righteousness out, right? And what is level seven righteousness? What is right? What is moral? Level seven, a loving friend. Coming back to what we were talking about in the very beginning of this conversation, um, when we talk about his righteousness. Mm -hmm. I feel like this, it, we just get so caught up in this idea of what righteousness is mm -hmm. and getting and displaying his righteousness. Um, because I like what I like the kind of the direction you're going. I don't know if I, I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth because mm -hmm. you said it better than what I could put it. But also, the, that idea that his righteousness is actually not having shame not having guilt right. over the things that we've done and it's just being who I am right be who I am and just kind of place it all on display and not really worry about that but we have a completely opposite view of what what it is we think righteousness is I'm perfect, and I don't want anybody to see that I'm not really perfect yes. I just want them to see that I'm perfect yeah and that's interesting that it's like his righteousness on me or having identity in Christ, right. knowing that his righteousness covers me. When he sees me, he sees his righteousness. Um, this is 
This is an interesting topic. How many, how many people followed the law perfectly? None. Huh? Only Jesus. Two people. Okay. Okay. Jesus followed the law flawless. So did the Apostle Paul. It's written in Scripture. The Apostle Paul said, speaking of himself and his genealogy and circumcised on the eighth day and yada, 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 right? He said, in regard to the law, faultless. That doesn't mean he didn't sin. It means he followed the law without fault. The law included the sacrificial system, right? So Jesus never sinned in the first place. He's the only one that never sinned. But Paul followed the law, the old covenant, without mistake. Hmm. Okay? That achievement is exactly what he called a huge pile of used tampons. Filthy rags, which is anathema to a Jew, right? His great achievement of doing the Old Covenant is abhorrent to him. And he wrote why. He said, because it would have kept me from Christ. So how hard do we want to try to perform? What if you succeed? If you fail, you fail. If you succeed, you fail. Because it's the wrong focus. It doesn't matter if you succeed or fail. Irrelevant. That's why, that's why I'm saying that, that as we go around in the spirit of religion and we give ourselves a C- minus on Tuesday and then a B-plus on Wednesday uh, and an A-plus on Thursday and everything, all of those are failures, every one of them. The failures when we, when we uh, act in an unloving way, but the failure when we're filled with the pride of not failing. Filthy rags. So what's the point of living in that mental construct? It's not about me. It's about Christ. It's about him. Right? It's Peter walking on the water. You know what I mean? Right? I mean, eyes on Christ. He said, I will never leave or forsake you. I'm looking right at you. I'm actually in you, looking out from your eyes. I'm abiding with you. If you'd abide with me, you'd be fine. Just abide. Martha, get in here from that kitchen. Mm -hmm. Sit down with Mary and enjoy me. I think that this is a, this is a really good... When, when you're talking about abiding and bringing the, the, that level seven of morality, I think this is actually a, this is a really good topic um, and a practical application as far as how we should be living our life. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, especially for especially as as a man being present just being present right checking out from the world or what the world says that i should be or what i should be doing with my time and then i see so many so focused on just oh i just need to be a provider hmm. i just need to um or just need to be the protector that's what I have to do. That's that's my responsibility. But getting to that level seven, that this is really, really an intriguing topic. To so, I'm really glad you brought this to the table today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I do. I want to shift it a little bit. Sure. Now, um, before we wrap it up, I want to give you um, the opportunity. As far as you can go with what we've talked about here, or you can go way off topic if you like, but I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm really interested in what you think young men who are getting ready to, or they want to follow Christ better. They want mm -hmm. to be better fathers, better husbands, mm -hmm. and overall better men. Um, what would be your message to them? Um, whatever you want to say to them. 
Okay. Far more with young men than with females of any age. Everything we talked about about wearing masks is more important, much more important. Okay. I think the older that you, if you go to a nursing home, the, the residents will fart at the dinner table. <laughs> the older, the older humans get, the less they care. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but a young man, especially there's two phases to a man's life. You, you're aiming for success. And then, and then later in life, you're aiming for significance. And so what does it take to be success? You know, well, you have to, you know, study all the gurus and you have to do all the stuff and you have to go out and, you know, kick butt in the world and all these things. Right. Well, that's an awful lot of perform, perform, perform. Right. Best advice I've got is just be yourself. Whatever got Ephesians 2.10, right? Before you were created, God had a specific thing. He had an issue, and, and he created you and all your uniqueness for that reason. Fulfill that. Fulfill that. Right. Okay? So I work with people of all ages all the way, you know, uh, uh, teenage all the way to geriatric. Midlife crisis is interesting uh, because midlife crisis happens more often with men. Uh, because they go out there and they succeed at fooling the world and fooling themselves. They succeed at the thing that their parents encouraged them to do. They succeed at the wrong thing. And then they implode at some point and say, screw it all. I, I, this isn't the life that I want. you know. And then there's this massive shift where they discover who they really are and what they really want. Well, avoid all that mess. How about be true to yourself? You know? especially young men, right? When it comes to dating, I do actually a lot with people that are, that are dating, you know, even before premarital counseling, right? Because there's a lot that young men specifically need to learn. And it's, and it's learning to get comfortable in his own skin. Be yourself. Be yourself. Be who God made you to be. Yeah, you stop being fake. Stop putting on that or trying to be what you expect others to view you as. Yes. Um, yeah. And... Stop trying to manipulate people into, because we're, that's what we're doing, right? Yeah. When we're putting on that fake face, we're trying to manipulate others, their response to us. Yep. If I put on, if I can show them that I'm good enough or give them the right answers, then they will accept me. Right. That's... Um, <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so, so it's, really, it's really fascinating. In both Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament, each language has three different words for love, and we've all heard what those are. They're agape, philo, and eros, right? Okay, got it. There's a fourth love, and C.S. Lewis wrote a book. I just, I just uh, went through it again. Uh, and the, uh, the fourth is a fourth concept. Uh, do you like smoking cigars? No. Okay, you don't like it? Okay, some people love it. Okay, is it... Right or wrong to smoke cigars? I don't. I don't know. You think what? there's anything to it? Yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Romans, Romans fourteen to each his own. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm over here, and yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do what I think is right. I'll follow. You know what I think is right. <laughs> okay. Why? Why do I say that? Because the the vernacular for uh, for a cigar is a stogie. So you're gonna light up a stogie. That's how you can remember the fourth love, storge. Storge is is the word. And the concept is in Scripture, even though the word isn't, okay? So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens, right? And so what is the first revelation of who God is? A creator. So God is creative, right? How many different kinds of mold did he create? I can think of brown, A pink, lot. green, black, right? There's 15,000 different species of mold. I mean, how many are really necessary, right? What do we, what do we learn from the creation? Have we, I, I think I, I just saw that we've only explored something like 5% of the ocean or something like that. I mean, only God knows what's in there. Leviathan could mm -hmm. still be, what do we know, right? Okay. He's, he's creative and you see how he, he creates incredible diversity. Okay. Again, Jesus never healed anybody using a pattern. Every single healing was something new and different. Spit and make mud and put it in their eye. Mud, here's mud in your eye. All right. But this, this concept of storge is that God created you. And he, when he created you, 
unlike what your mother said, he didn't want you to be more like your brother. He wanted you. That's why he made you. And we it's called procrastinism. We judge ourselves and everything, and we wish we were different. We wish we were better. We wish we were more like whatever. It's torture. It's self-torture, procrastinism. Okay? What if we were just to sit back and relax and be comfortable with God's creation? Wouldn't that mm-hmm. be nice? Because God storegazes us. So when he makes short people and tall people, fat people and skinny people, whatever, he made them because that's what he wanted. They're not mistakes. We look at somebody with Downs and we say, you know, what a shame they don't have intellection as much as average. But God is looking back going, look at that masterpiece. This is crazy. Look at how that person loves. That's the pinnacle of my creation. You could learn something about love from that, right? Mm -hmm. And then you got some autistic uh, savant or something like that. Look at the power of the human mind and how that dude can do memorize stats and do math problems in his head and all that stuff. That is the capacity. Isn't that fabulous? And yet we look at people that are different in all the differences, and we give them a score, A, B, C, D, or failing. You know what I'm saying? That makes sense? Yeah, this is... Yeah. So Storge, God wants you. That's why he made you. So relax into it. I'm going to shut up. That's so cool. No, that I love that, that what you're talking about there, that idea that accept who he made you as. How about celebrate? <laughs> that Exactly. I love that. Like this, this idea that he yeah. intended it. He intended who we are. Yes. He, in, he intended us to be exactly who we are. Yes. And when, and we're just rejecting that when we try to be something else. Right. That's uh, this is I I love this principle. <laughs> I, I love everything about. I'm really glad you brought this today. Mm-hmm. To um, be really honest, this is my favorite. Um, this is my favorite topic. So mm. so thank you for going that route. Really happy about that. My pleasure. Um, and uh, Dr. Fisher. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining me today. I'm just really happy. Uh, This was awesome. And hopefully we'll be able to do this one again because I feel like we've got a lot more subjects to cover on this. Oh, yeah. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So this was really cool. Yeah. And uh, you you all, thank you for joining us today for the Men of True Worth podcast with Dr. Fisher right here. Um, Thank you again. My pleasure.